Judley Wheels Rothstein, straight from the Tar Heel State of North Carolina, coming at you live for our second episode of the third season of Hold the Fort. Happy New Year to everyone near and far. Maybe you made it all the way to midnight to watch the ball drop in Times Square. That wasn't the only ball that dropped yesterday. I know that the scores of former Wanaki campers, who also count themselves as Wolverine alumni, are lamenting the final ball that dropped to the turf on the final snap of the season for Michigan. Additionally, the Buckeye fans out there are dreaming about what could have been after watching the final ball drop wide left as the clock struck midnight. And Ray Finkel will be happy that the laces were out on the kick. I hope you enjoyed the best day of semifinal college football playoff action in history. So what may you ask? could possibly follow up this exciting action? How about a live episode of Hold the Fort with not one, not two, not three, not four, sound like LeBron here, but five hosts to help interview our next guest. For all you Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix fans out there, you'll appreciate this next lyric to introduce who I am with this afternoon in High Point, North Carolina. I've got cigars to the left of me, IP to the right, and here I am, stuck in the middle with Stu. That's right, the cigar to the left of me, in the mouth of the one and only Arthur Charles A.C. Vitter. And the IP to the right of me is the father of Island Pride himself, Mario Black Magic Watson. Also to the right of me is another longtime Island counselor and former guest on the podcast, soccer coaching legend Ray Alley. And for the first time in Hold the Fort history, my partner in crime and co-host Stuart, Stu Dog Vitter, is sitting live and in Technicolor with me for an interview. So let's get a raw row re with three Happy New Year's at the end. One, two, three. Ra row re. Ra row re. W i n a u k w e. Wenaki. 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 Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. So I'm going to send it around the circle here to hear how everyone has been doing for the holiday season and get a prediction. You heard it here first for the TCU Georgia National Championship. Mario Watson, start us off. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, Good to be a part of this. Uh, We're doing fine. Uh, Had a lovely Christmas with the girls. Donna's fine. Kayla's home and she's doing wonderful and uh, St. Nick was good. So good to be here. Even though you've been naughty all year, you still got some good stuff? Finally got some good stuff, Jed. Okay. And prediction for the TCU-Georgia game, though? Uh, I got to go with TCU. Great story, Jed. Uh, I thought it was a great game against Michigan, but now I think TCU has uh, won my heart over. Uh, let's go TCU. All right. Reminding us of the scrap metal teams at Winocchi. All right, let's kick it to Ray Alley. Well, Santa Claus found his way to our house and uh, spent a good holiday. Had a chance to uh, 
visit with uh, my two grandchildren. And uh, that was fun. Um, so yeah, everything's good. Looking forward to the new year. Good. Prediction for the Georgia TCU game, right? Go dogs. Uh, watch TCU. Yeah, they got a bit of my heart too, but I'm not sure about that defense. Okay. So. All right, we got one one so far. All right, AC. Well, we spent uh, we had a bit of Christmas on uh, December the 18th at our house with the uh, family, and then we went to Gavin's house for Christmas. And Santa Claus was good to everybody. And my prediction is, stew dogs. <laughs> All right, that's two to one so far. And now to my partner, Stu Dog. Well, I uh, was in attendance at uh, with with Dad and Mom uh, on the 18th, of course, with the girls, and then we went up to Gavin's uh, with my niece and uh, sister-in-law. Uh, brave the cold weather, and I know for a lot of you listening, when I say 24 degrees, you'll you'll laugh at that. But for us, that was cold. Um, I'm also going to go with the Georgia Bulldogs, just as an SEC fan. Uh, pulling for the Tigers tomorrow night in the Citrus Bowl. Um, I know Mom, Dad, and I uh, a couple of days ago left home of Louisiana and uh, made the uh, 14 or so hour trip up here to be here for this uh, momentous episode of Hold the Fort. And um, there's probably only one person that we would be or want to do that for, and uh, he is our next guest. Thank you, Stu. So speaking of our next guest, it's time to introduce him. It's one of life's rarities to come across a person who is so universally revered and respected by everyone who crosses paths with them. I can probably count on one hand the number of people who fit this bill. This is an appropriate turn of phrase, as our next guest is a bill himself. I have heard countless stories about his leadership skills, his calm demeanor, his loyalty, and his friendship. I think that the Wanaki tree of values of my childhood and have to surmise that the motivation for the choice of the values themselves were modeled off our next guest. Enthusiasm was found in his love for Wanaki as he returned summer after summer to serve as the director of the Wanaki Island. Loyalty was part of his DNA as evidenced by his relationship with the Sobels and all the Wanaki families. Sportsmanship was important to him as he was a coach himself and passed it down to scores of Wenaki counselors and campers. Friendship was modeled day in and day out and still means a great deal to him as evidenced by the illustrious group of Wenaki gentlemen gathered with me today. Achievement was second nature to him as director and as a leader of young men. Finally, the last value of cooperation was part of his leadership style and had a large impact on all those who followed his lead. It gives me great pleasure to introduce the legendary former Wanaki Island director and one of the best guys around, Bill Guy. Bill, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell our listeners how you've been and how everything's going. I had going. a great, uh, it's been a nice holiday. <clears throat> the highlight of it is having the bidders come up from home of Louisiana. I've made that drive, and I know it's long and tedious, so it's good. I'm happy. Well, good. Well, we're so happy to have you on. And now, Bill, 
the first question that we always like to ask, and Stu and I always remark to ourselves how fun it is for us to introduce some of the older staff members who we didn't overlap with and find out the answer to this. Uh, Bill, what is your Wenaki origin story? How did you end up at Wenaki for that first summer? And what was that first summer like for you? I went into Roberts Hall at, at uh, High Point College because somebody told me that I knew Dale Brown, I think, had said there's a guy that owns a camp in New Hampshire and he had worked there, said you may need to go talk to him. So I went into this little sitting room and there was Doc Sobel. And he said, sit down, boy. <laughs> and so what are you going to do? I sat down and we talked. And he talked me into coming to camp. He was pretty, always very persuasive. And in the long run, he became a good friend. So that's how I got to camp. And what was that first summer? Were you on the island immediately on that first summer? Yes. And I, what, what role and position did you have that first I, summer? I did basketball. It was my activity was basketball. And I can't tell you where we slept. Ed and Rose and I slept in a closed-in cabin ourselves. And I, it was back where the candy used to be <clears throat> on the island. What summer was that? What year? 63. We started in 63, skipped 64 to finish our master's, and then we came back in 65. Oh. Bill, when did you know that Wenaki was going to be such a huge part of your life? And how did you tailor your life to be able to return summer after summer? Well, I was in education, and so I had summers free in public school work. <clears throat> so it was not too hard for me to negotiate some travel money from Doc and pay for the summer. And Ed and Rose was always supportive, so we just, and it, we had no children at this point, and just took off. Wow. And I just saw it as an adventure. And I imagined what it was like driving to camp, but I didn't imagine how nice it was driving the camp road down, all the way down. Uh, so then later when I became a dean at High Point College, I negotiated a contract that gave me a summer free and uh, kept going to camp. So that was a good thing. In fact, I was lucky at that time, the president of High Point had run a business in New York. So when I went in and negotiate with him, he was very, uh, I started by saving the college money by not having to pay me and paying somebody else. He bought into that. And then from that time on, I was pretty free to go camp in the summer. Wow. That so, works for me. It worked for me. You can tell us, uh, starting there in the summer of 63 through the 70s, what the Alex experience was like for the campers and counselors, um, and what memories stand out to you during those times? Well, one big thing I remember is that it was not a travel camp. They didn't travel, the kids didn't travel out of camp very much. Every activity was instructional. And then we had the additional teams, but 
instruction, safety, and happiness were the three common goals we all had. And uh, so, anyway, that, that was basically it. What summer was the transition from basketball to director? 66. 66, all right. First, pretty, me, first meeting I had, your dad was already there, and he was a wise ass. So <laughs> I had to shut him up and move on. Now, but that didn't hurt our friendship, I can tell you that. Now, Bill, what were the conversations like with Doc? How did that transition occur um, for you to go from a, a basketball staff living up there with your wife, Edna Rose, to them being offered the, the island director position? Was that during the off-season you had talked about that? And was there any contemplation in your mind about accepting that position? It came to high point for the select purpose of asking me, to be the director and I, I thought he was kidding but he didn't care about stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh, so I figured well, if I'm capable of doing it I'll just do it the best I can and you'll have to put up with that so he agreed that I would be okay and I said I'm not the most enthusiastic guy in the world but I'll make sure everything happens that's supposed to happen but I'm not going to lead any cheers for the teams except my basketball team. Hmm. And he said, that'll be okay, too. That's not what you're being hired to do. So I got a feeling that I, I, I'm developing a friendship here with a pretty powerful guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, that made a lot of difference to me. But, and where did you... Where did you live during those years as director on the island? Was it in the in the house next to Bunk A? Where were you? Where were you guys situated? No, the island director's cabin. The island director's cabin. Yeah. Yeah. At camp. So an upgrade from the uh, from the original. In the candy the store. Candy store. The candy store. <laughs> <laughs> A big upgrade. <laughs> and what happened was they kept saying, "What would you like us to do to this?" make it better I said nothing leave it the way it is I don't deserve all that extra work then Lenny placed it who was a mm. guy he came and said Bill they're offering to do some work on this place there must be something you want done I said I'm happy with it just the way it is and that was it I liked it now Lenny's name comes up a lot in our podcast so I'll even ask some of the other uh, host sitting here, Bill. Uh, any other stories about uh, Lenny and things that he did that stick out to people? Ray? We built a cabin on the mainland pre-camp between two existing cabins. Built it in less than a week. Lenny built it with a T-square, a tape measure, and a level. He was the most creative, intelligent, local New Hampshire guy that I have ever met. He was a inspiration and he built that place. Mm -hmm. He built the camp. We put up uh, the poles 
of lights on the first tennis courts there by the playhouse on the main road. And we had shovels that were about, the handles were about eight or 10 feet long. And that's the way we dug the holes. And Lenny supervised that. Pulled the poles in, put them up, hooked them up, put the electricity to it. That was it. He built that place. So Doc Sobel built the concept of Camp Winona. But Lenny placed it, built the footprint yes. for the camp. Absolutely. Wasn't he the one that built the... Uh... The cru- not the cruiser, the barge. The, the barge. Yes. The barge. Wow. Did you really? Yes. He did. They were going to go to Main Iron Work or Main Iron Works and had the built, and they found the cost. They said, we can't do it. So Lenny told them at the end of camp once over, let me try the following summer. There was the barge. And that's the same barge that we ride on today. Same one. Wow. Same one. 1960, I want to say 68, maybe he built it. Well, prior to that, how did they get things back and forth? They had a wooden. Oh, okay. They had a wooden barge that when you when you put, when you put your car on to go across, it was about maybe a half an inch above the water from the weight of the <laughs> car on that wooden barge. Woo! That thing, that's that, to this day that's still going back and forth. Yeah, it's still going back. That's and incredible. Forth. Well, well, what, but what uh, Ray said is true. Lenny built. I, if I'm not mistaken, he built every building except for Bunk A on the island, but he built every building that, that was there. It's incredible. Well, I, I got to be friends with Marty Van, as a lot some of you did too. And Marty's husband, Skipper, was the second, maybe he was the first island director. First. And uh, she told me, she was there for the Lenny's building of the buildings. She verified that. But we had a situation pre-camp where I noticed that our flagpole needed to be painted. Now, if you look at this flagpole, how are you going to get it down to paint it? Or are you going to scaffold up, up to it? So I went to Lenny and said, we got to paint flagpole. He said, I'll take care of that. He, he made this apparatus, hooked it up to the flagpole, and the back of the pickup truck and he backed the truck up and that pole just went down just like this we painted it and he reversed the truck and it went back up and he locked it in place i mean i was saying the guys down at, at harvard yeah. cambridge would be <laughs> unbelievably entertained by all of this this guy is brilliant hmm. he was smarter in five minutes than i was all day hmm. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate that. I'm glad to get some good discussion about Lenny on, on the show. I hear his name so often, and it's just wonderful to hear his contribution from especially people who overlap, like you said, Bill, with, with Marty and, and Skipper to hear those stories. I have one other thing about Lenny. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I first started to work there. We got two days off to go do whatever. So I went to Lenny since he's a local and said, we have two days off, what should we do? He said, I don't know. I really don't know. I've never been to anywhere but Manchester once in a while. So if you want to go to Manchester, I can tell you what to do. I said, I want to go over to Maine or something. Well, you go do it on your own. 
I mean, that was his personality. It wasn't that he didn't care. He cared, but it wasn't part of his bailiwick to advise people about what to do. Hmm. And I understood that. So that's it for Lenny. Well, that's great. All right, well, let's throw it to AC. Um, a, a little bit of a continuation to talk about um, some of the some of the people who impacted you. Uh, Bill, who were some of your early role models at camp, and what did you learn from these people that stuck with you over the years? Oh, um, my first one was a guy by the name of Leo Disson. He was an offensive tackle for the Green Bay Packers when they were really the Green Bay Packers. And uh, he was the island director. One of the most patient and biggest guys I've ever known, to tell you the truth. He was, uh, the way he handled the kids was with caring, concern, and great leadership. So I said, if he can do that, I can do that. So he was he was my role model in running the camp. And but he only lasted one year while I was there. Wasn't my fault. But anyway, then somebody else took over. Now, now, do I need to mention that? That guy got fired. Anyway, that's the end of that. Leo was my role model. Doc was always my role model. Mm. When my father died, he became a surrogate father for me with advice. What else? Yeah, Bill, what, what else was it about, about Doc in your relationship that made him so special to you and such a, such a role model? Well, I did some traveling for the college on Long Island to recruit academic students. And Doc found out, and he invited me to stay at their house. And so I slept in the same room Bart and John slept in, cold as the devil, not much heat. But I never complained, because it was free. So that's how we got started, was staying at his house. Puff was a great cooker of steak that they bought from some guy in Brooklyn. And uh, I never dreamed that Puff could cook, but she was a good cook. But that's how we got started. And uh, I also liked him enough and knew him enough, I could anticipate what he might say about any situation. Mm. And that got me out of hot water a lot of times uh, to, to, to suggest what he might suggest. And if that wasn't right, he'd tell me. That was it. That's great. Let's go over to Ray for another question for you. Bill, uh, any funny stories that you can remember that uh, reflect on your time there? The funniest guy that was ever there was Charlie Harris. Yes. Anybody know Charlie yeah, Harris? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He was the funniest guy. What made him funny, Bill? He had a quick sense of humor. He'd be in the office and the phone would ring and be Doc. And he'd say, this is Charlie Harris. Doc, the music's so loud over here I can't hear what you're saying. 
Should I turn down the music? Well, that's why Doc had called in the first place. He, that's the kind of guy he was. And he would, he would get up in the middle of the night and put himself between the top blank uh, mattress and the bottom mattress and start talking to his wife in the middle of the night in that position. And she, she couldn't find where he was. That's, those are just two or three things I know about him. But he was uh, incredible. Dad's got a, a, a story or two. Good. With Charlie. Uh, well, I remember I was, the story that I remember the most is it was rest hour. And I was asleep. And Charlie Harris announced over the loudspeaker, AC Vitter, long distance telephone call from John Two, who was a good friend of mine, who was the waterfront director before me. So I jumped out of bed. I ran all the way down to the little phone booth they had in the playhouse at that time, cost you a dime to make a phone call. And when I shut the door, Charlie locked the door and he squirted me down with those fire compressor tanks they used to have. And then he threw powder all over me. <laughs> Oh, Lord. So when I kicked the door out, he started running and hollering, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that's my story about Charlie. <laughs> Believe it or not. You, yeah, a Charlie story. Oh, good. Uh, on the mainland, he organized the bocce World Cup Championships. Yes, he did. That the kids would play. And the kids would, and he would be the announcer. And they would roll the ball down there, and he'd say, oh, it's a Henway. And the little kid would say, what's a Henway? He says, about two and a half pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I was standing there when that happened. Uh, oh, that's great. Ray, were you, you said you had a story you were thinking about as well? Yeah. Um, We used to go down to New York and pick up the kids. And you'd go down the day before. Doc would uh, have us all booked into the Commodore Hotel, which is above Grand Central Station. And we'd have a list of kids, and it was alphabetically. So it wasn't by ages. It was kids that whose names a Southern boy had never heard before. <laughs> and... Uh, that was the group that we were supposed to, we were in charge with. And uh, we'd get up, go down to Grand, Grand Central, and every camp in New England was picking up kids at the same, exactly. same time. And so you get your, your kids together, you had a sign, they knew what number they were supposed to come to. It seemed like every kid had two sets of parents and four sets of grandparents hmm. and they had tennis rackets and riding reels and the hmm. moms were handing you uh, medicine and uh, allergy stuff and you were just overloaded with the whole stuff just hoping you get the kids on the on the train so you get them on the train and we take the train to Boston get off the train at the the big parking lot at 128 and 
get on the buses and you take the buses into camp. Well, this is an all-day affair. Um, by the time you get to camp, you're totally wiped out. And they send everybody. Island kids go to, the, to where the barge is. Kids on the mainland go into the mess hall for dinner. And they're going to call out the bunks at the end of the end of the meal. We had a counselor from Alabama, Bill Stutz, who uh, was an outgoing guy, personable, uh, real Southern. Um, he had a kid on his list named Mickey Donner. So Mickey Donner was a new kid. Nobody knew who Mickey Donner really was. And so we get in there and they start calling out the names for bunks. And they call out Mickey Donner's name. And he does, he's not in the playoffs. He is not in the playoffs. I mean, he's not in the mess hall. And so everybody's wondering where this kid is. You know, did he leave? Did he go to the bathroom? Everybody went out looking for him. And so we have a dilemma. Did the kid get off the bus? I'll get not get on the bus when he got off the train. Or did he fall asleep on the train? Dr. Bid, did he fall off the train? <laughs> so finally he told Doc, we can't find this kid. Well, Doc was obviously concerned about that. <laughs> so the question was, who was going to call Mickey Donner's parents and <laughs> find out? So finally, Doc did. Now, myself and two or three other guys were standing outside of Doc's office. Well, we were outside Doc's office, and you could hear everything that was going on in there. And Doc had called the mom and finally told her that we had no Mickey Donner at camp. And she says, well, at the last minute, I decided not to send him. Oh, gosh. So Bill Stutz was with us then, and Doc said, Stutz, come in here. Bill goes in there and says, Stutz, you're a damn idiot. Huh. And Bill says, Doc, you're exactly right. <laughs> you're exactly right. Oh, so man. Mickey Donner never made camp, but he certainly made Songfest. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Well, speaking of you know, Songfest, uh, Color War is uh, a huge part of the Winocky experience. Uh, the culmination of camp. What are some of your favorite memories of uh, breakouts and color wars during your time there, Bill? That's easy. Uh, on my team, I had David Browdy. Mm. David Browdy was very accomplished, and he lived in Philadelphia in a black community. <clears throat> so he took all those songs from church and wrote a song fest. Okay. It was the best one we ever had, I think. Mm. But it was my team, and I was prejudiced. So I remember that very well. And when I went back for the 100, he was there. 
He was there. I met him, yep. Followed me around like a little puppy. <clears throat> I don't know why he did that, but I was glad he did. He and cousin or brother were both two-time runners of uh, yeah. Camper? And both won all around Camper. camper yeah. It was his brother, Ricky, okay. who was with him and very quiet compared to David. Very nice man. David was a point guard on my basketball team. Okay. It was very, very good. So the the team you speak of, was buff or blue? I was blue. Okay. All right. That's, it's important for a little <laughs> later on, I think. Now, was that, that was your one and only time as a color war leader, Bill? Yes. And did you serve? I, I couldn't be a leader as, as a director. Yeah. And as a director, would you serve as a judge any of those years or no nope. yep that was traditionally the director would stay i out stayed of it. i stayed out of it mm -hmm. all right bill so now we want to turn to some rapid fire wanaki questions um i'll go back and forth with mario and Stu, and i'll start out with the first question for you bill you know quick quick questions with a quick answer what was your favorite meal to eat at camp wanaki steak is that a once a week thing? Twice a week. Twice a week. Woo. Mm, yum. I love the flank steak cooked on the grill. That's Sunday, wasn't it? No, Tuesday and Thursday, Tuesday I think. Sunday oh, was turkey. Turkey, yeah, Sun correct. Yeah, yeah, Sunday was turkey and dressing. Bill, next question. What was your favorite boat to drive at camp? When they bought a... Uh... Well... The, the last ski boat. Boston Whaler? Boston Whaler. The Boston Whaler was my yeah. favorite. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what was your favorite view at Wenaki? Ooh, good one. Favorite view? View. Looking across at Melvin Village. Mm. Right behind Black Island. And yeah. the church. Yeah. And the village. Yeah. I like that. Now, you said you may not have led a lot of these cheers, but what was your favorite Wenaki cheer that they did at camp? I didn't have one. I didn't have one. Yeah. I told you I'm not a cheer guy. <laughs> My favorite cheer was no cheer. <laughs> well, Bill, let me ask you this then. What? What was your favorite colorway event to watch? Um, the basketball game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, senior basketball or any basketball games. The color war basketball. Yeah, yeah. Because that was my sport. Mm -hmm. And I, I still watch Carolina, knowing they're probably going to lose. The expectations are too high, but. Basketball, I love basketball. Mm -hmm. And maybe going back, your favorite color uh, color at camp, buffer blue. 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 There we go. That was quick. Didn't they? Usually, yeah. We 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 Stu and I have found over the over the years now, if you were a leader for a particular color, that sticks with you forever, and that's your favorite. That's your favorite Wenaki color. Well, it should. Yeah, I know Ray feels the same way about blue. Let's kick it to Mario for another question. Speaking about basketball, maybe we can hear a little bit more about it. Okay, Bill, 
What are some of your favorite memories of the athletic competitions during your time at Winalki? And were there any games or tournaments that stick out in your mind? Yes. We, we, I scheduled another camp up north of us and they had 16 year olds mm. on scholarship to come to camp for basketball. So I figured if I'm going to have any competition, they would be the best. We went up there and whipped their butts. Easy. Serious. Wow. I had a good team. And God bless, God rest his soul, Russ Taylor was one of the best. He's now deceased. I've heard that name before. Yeah. And, and I said, Rowdy. Mm-hmm. Over the years, the Wenaki, ba- I mean, Wenaki basketball has been really strong over, over the years. During your time, even beyond those mid-60 years when you were running the you know, basketball, did it stay consistently good in the 60s and 70s, Bill? Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I can't complain. They didn't do it because of me. I just, they knew I loved basketball. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, there's a portion uh, on the episode that we call Wenaki Recollections. And what we've done is we've gathered some some thoughts about your time at Wenaki and you as an island director. And we're going to go ahead and, and read uh, three of them. The first one is from someone who's not here, so I'm going to read it for him and I'll let you know at the end uh, who it was. Here's the first one. It's very hard to find one particular moment that stands out because for five years, my time on the island, every day of every year was a great one with Bill's leadership. It's easy for me to describe the type of man he was at Wanaki's island camp. Speak softly, but carry a big stick. You see, Bill commanded so much respect from everyone on the island. It didn't matter if you were a camper, counselor, cook, or waiter. Bill never got mad, never raised his voice, but you knew he was watching everything that took place on the island. He was in complete control of the island camp. You could say he was a lot like Doc Sobel, but the big difference was he would smile. Bill was great with everyone. He knew how to manage parents on visiting day, even getting them to leave on time before Doc would call over from the mainland. You see, we as campers were so involved in our sports and friendships that we really never had any issues. I think having a great group of counselors made his job easier. Men like A.C. Vitter, John Two, George Spruill, Ray Alley, David Brody, and so many more. I do think the hardest part of his job was managing his counselors. One story always sticks out with me. We had a counselor named Charlie Harris from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was a tall, goofy-looking guy who had a great sense of humor. His problem was he didn't understand that Doc did not share his same sense of humor. Charlie was always playing jokes on Doc. His best joke was that whenever he was in the island office and the mainland phone would ring, it was a direct line from the mainland to the island that used a crank Charlie would always answer and say, island camp. It was always Doc on the other line, and Doc would say, I know it's the island camp. Then Charlie would answer, well, then why are you calling here if you know where you're calling? Well, after a few of these calls, Doc got in his boat and headed over to the island. 
Bill saw this, and when Doc got to the island, Bill intervened and smoothed everything over with Doc so he would not fire Charlie Harris on the spot. You see, Bill was laughing with Charlie, but also calming Doc down at the same time. That's the kind of man he was. He was loved and respected by all. So Bill, this recollection was written by Mark Loberbaum, a senior from 1973 with a color war record of 0 and 9, son of Bob Loberbaum, who was the best all-around camper in 1945, and the father of Scott, who was a senior in 2000, and Matt, a senior in 2003, and Mark is also the grandfather of future Wanaki campers, Mason and Xander. Hmm. Mark Loberbaum. Well, I, if you ever talk to him, tell him how much I appreciate what he had to say. I had no recollection of that, really. It just was an instance. It happened. Hmm. But boy, he, he remembered it great. Yeah. But dealing with Doc on Charlie was easy, though. Because, you know, I just reasoned with Doc after he got... I let him get over his anger, and then I'd lead him into forgiveness. <laughs> and then forgetfulness, forget the whole thing. Yeah. I had a second recollection. Uh, the first time I met Bill Guy was 1967. This was my first year at Kamalaki, and I had no idea about being a counselor at a boys' sleepaway camp in New Hampshire. I was Bill's assistant basketball counselor, and lucky for me, Bill took me under his wing and showed me the correct way to be a bunk and activity counselor. In 1968, Bill became the Allen director. He served in that position until 1979. In those years, I had the pleasure to serve as athletic director and waterfront director. To Bill's credit, he just let me do my job in those capacities. Bill was a true island man, and his personality fit so well as island director. His steady demeanor rubbed off on me and all island counselors. Not once did I ever see Bill yell or get angry at any camper or counselor. A great example of this is one night two counselors had snuck out of camp and went out on the town. They both should have been on duty. Bill found me and another counselor and had us cover for them. When they got back to camp and, and canoed to the front docks of the waterfront, there stood Bill. Of course, we were all watching. But Bill being Bill, he said, hope you both had a great time. He, he then just turned around and walked back to his cabin. No one ever tried to sneak out again that summer or any other summer as long as he was the island director. Bill has taught me so much about how to treat people. The most important thing for me and my family is that we have been lifelong friends. Uh, we feel like the guys uh, are family to us and that we are family to them. We would stop in High Point, North Carolina every summer that we would go to camp by car. To be honest, we felt like we were going home to visit family and friends. We have been blessed and honored to have all the guys as our dearest and closest friends. We simply love the God family. Your southern friends, A.C., Marcia, Gavin, and Stuart Veterans. Well, we've tried to return the love. I acknowledge it gratefully that we've been friends all these years. So... Well, thank you. That was, and I'm glad Stu had to read that. <laughs> well, that was beautiful. Our third recollection um, is going to be read by Ray Alley. Uh -oh. Ask most anyone who spent more than 
one summer as a counselor in Wenaki, what their camp experience was like. And most often the response will be, those were the best summers of my life. The first summer is often one of adjustment, but it was the one that got you hooked. Camp Wenaki owner, director, Doc Sobel, was a fortunate man when it came to hiring outstanding directors for the Allen Camp. He hit a proverbial home run with Bill Guy, a High Point College-educated high school basketball coach and teacher. Until 1945, the footprint of Camp Wenaki was solely on the mainland. The Allen Camp was constructed and opened for the oldest age groups of boys just entering their teenage years. The Mainly Camp was the foundation of the business model. Like an ice cream sundae, the Mainland was the ice cream. The island was the cherry on the top. When Bill became director, he was tailor-made for the job. Teaching and coaching gave him experience with campers of that age. Wenaki is often referred to as being a magical place. A large, beautiful lake surrounded by mountains, sports activities, and competitions. A structured schedule, traditions, trips, and color war to close out the eight-week camp calendar all contributed to making it so. But it was the people that made the summer so, so special. The staff was a diverse group coming from mid-Atlantic states, the deep south, in the Midwest with a sprinkling of former campers. Doc sought out talented athletics instructors, many bringing big person personalities to camp. Some charismatic, some simply labeled characters as the Allen director Bill was a master in managing his staff, encouraging creativity, responsibility, and accountability. Bill, there are hundreds of sons of Wenaki, now fathers and grandfathers of Wenaki campers who remember and appreciate how you contributed to making their camp experience special. You were a constant presence in their Wenaki lives. They remember you for caring about, about them, encouraging them, praising commitment, and competitiveness while stressing sportsmanship. Theirs was a time of transition from boyhood to becoming a young man. There are also a host of former counselors who realize how your approach to dealing with people made it easy to make life changes in order to return to Wenaki as long as life's responsibilities allowed it. We were also young once, so thanks, Bill, for being a part, big part of the best summers of our lives. And Ra Ro Ree, three oogies to, oogies to you, and hold the fort forever. Uh, this was my regulation uh, as a counselor uh, and athletic director uh, in the 60s and the 70s. And proud to have had a three and O color war record go blue. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks, Ray. That's very good. That was wonderful. All right, really beautiful stuff. Uh, Mario, I, I know you have been good friends with, with Bill for and Edna Rose and the whole family for a long time, and I know your relationship with Bill means a lot to you, I hear. It does. How how highly you speak of Bill. I think Bill got me to Winoki, yeah. A lot of my knowledge about Bill and his family comes from you, so I'd like to give you the honor of asking the last question on this wonderful podcast. Thank you, Jed, and honored. Uh, Bill, what has the Winoki community and your relationship with former campers and counselors meant to you over all these years? How do you answer that? Mario? I know. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> the easy way out is to say, I really don't know, but I do know. And uh, my son, who's now dead, I put him in that camp at five years of age. And it was good for him. And we went back for the hundredth together, flew up. To do it so it it had an impact on my son and that's the big strongest part then the friendship that i've developed over the years uh, i could name several people but i'm not i'll leave people out uh, I'll tell you what camp did for me most of all. I always knew how to approach management of people. Camp verified that I was going in the right direction. So that really is enthusiastic. To get a place where you're challenged and you find out maybe you're going in the right direction with your development. That's it. Bill, as I sit here, you know, 40 years, you know, after I was fortunate to come up with the IP logo slogan, you're the man that got me involved. What did you see in me to think that I could be a, a camp man? Energy. I loved your energy. And then I found out how much you cared about people. So those two things will get you through camp. Loving the people around you and having the energy to do the work. Well, Bill, you know, on behalf of me and all the people that think that I'm great, you know, I'm one of the people that think you're great. And uh, I appreciate you getting me to Camp Winoki and uh, I just value your friendship. Not just at Winoki. But all the things you've done for me here in High Point, the city of uh, High Point and High Point University, getting me nominated, you know, on different uh, boards that I probably wouldn't have been a part of. But uh, I appreciate you uh, guiding me, sir. Well, you know, Mario, I just anticipated you would short sell yourself. That's just the way you are. So... I just wanted to get you involved so people would get to know you, period. And I happen to be in a position 
to get you involved. So I felt responsible for you. And I don't anymore. You're on your own. <laughs> uh, that was that was why I did it. I saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And that is, Bill, just a, a magical and, and impressive quality. And I think that really shines through in this entire episode and all of the words that were shared about you. I share with you, and I know AC feels the same way, an appreciation for the impact that Wanaki had on our sons. As I watch my son experience Wanaki through my eyes, and I've heard AC mention you know, numerous times how grateful he is for the experience that Stu and Gavin had right. and for you with Bill Jr. Um, I, I, I share the, the the profound respect and admiration for what Wanaki did for, for our families and continues to do for all families. So um, I really, really enjoyed having you on uh, the show and I'll have some final words from a few of our, our hosts and then uh, we'll wrap up. So uh, great to finally meet Ray Alley in person. Uh, Ray, some final thoughts and words for today's episode. Well, it's always a good day when you can talk about Camp Wanaki. Um, I appreciate the friendships. I appreciate the uh, experience that I had. Uh, I look forward to the future. Thank you, Ray. Uh, pass it over to Stu Dog. Uh, it's, it's been magical sitting in here uh, with the, the people that uh, are with us today and um, driving uh, up on 1065 and 85, uh, making the trip back uh, to High Point. Although we're not going further north like we did in the past, uh, a lot of a lot of memories brought back, whether it be a, a peach water tower or mm. or this this place here, that place there. And although a lot of things have changed, uh, how much they still say the same. And um, I'm just uh, thankful for everyone that's in this room. Amen. Yeah, wow. Uh, I guess I'll just say Bill Guy, class act. And thank you, Bill. Love you, sir. You're welcome. We'll turn it over to AC for some final thoughts. Well, just uh, to reiterate, like Ray said, it's funny, as, as soon as we got here and we walked into the house and hugged and kissed each other, we started talking Monarchy. And it's been like that since we've been here. And it's it's always, as Ray said, it's always fun. And it's funny how far back your memory goes and you're jolting in your mind about things you've been, you forgot about, but they're brought back and how quick it is. And uh, this is our hope away from home good thank you thank you ace and thank you everyone look Stu, Stu and i uh have the, the the wonderful position to be visitors uh here today at, at the mount rushmore of of camp Wanaki. so uh this is always a treat for me to finally do a podcast in person with uh my best bud Stu dog uh it's been really great to to get together with you bill so thank you so much i'll sign off today Hold the fort, for we are coming, loyal sons of Winocchi. Side by side, we battle onward, on to victory. In the words of former 
Camp Wanaki Dr. Dr. Dre. Until the next episode, IP, MP, C-dubs, and hold the fort.